Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to thank one of our listeners, Lane Willis, who left us a review. He wrote, Thank you, Jonathan and team, for candidly discussing difficult topics relating to the Christian faith. My wife and I have listened to all 84 episodes of Candid, some more than once. We have been believers for many years, but find ourselves challenged more and more to gain real insight into cultural issues facing us today. Well, Lane, this is an incredible encouragement to us. I want to thank you and your wife for listening, and we are sending you a copy of Dad's newest book, Hope for This Present Crisis. We hope you enjoy it. Would you mind leaving us a review? By leaving us a review and a rating, it helps others to find us and is a tremendous help. Using your favorite podcast platform, go to our show and leave a rating along with a review, and perhaps next week we will mention you on the show. Now, on to our episode. The really important thing is, say you connect with someone and you start getting to know them, I think people wait far too long before they bring other people in. You need to both know them, and they need to be known by you, but you need them to be known by your community, and they need to know your community. Relationships online dating, searching for the right one. How should a believer approach dating and address the longing for a Christian marriage? What role does the church play in helping believers build godly relationships? Today, I'm blessed to sit down with Deepak Reju. He's the associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and also serves on the board of directors of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Deepak is not only a counselor, but also author of several books, one being She's Got the Wrong Guy, a fantastic read. In fact, it's so good that we frequently gift it to our people in our singles ministry at our church. In today's candid conversation, Deepak and I pull back the relationship layers and discuss what singles should be looking for in a partner. What are some red flags in dating? We also acknowledge the isolation the pandemic has created and the impact it has on building biblical relationships. Whether single or married, this episode is rich with biblical wisdom. We hope you share it with people in your circles who may benefit from it. Now, on to our candid conversation. Well, today I have the great privilege of talking to Dr. Deepak Reju, who is uh, an associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C., and uh, Dr. Deepak has written several books on dating, pornography, child abuse in church, uh, counseling, a wealth of knowledge. Dr. Deepak, thank you so much for joining us on Candid Conversations. Glad to be here. Glad to have the time with you. Absolutely. I wonder if you could just sort of maybe for some of our people who aren't familiar with your ministry and your work, if you just sort of uh, give us a 10-cent introduction to yourself and and how you got into this world of biblical counseling and pastoring. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I am um, a pastor of a Baptist church in downtown D.C. I arrived here in 1991 at this congregation uh, and went off and did seminary and came back, but I've... um, 
as I say to some of the younger members, I'm as old as the furniture now, and literally in most of the rooms, and love being a part of the church that the Lord has brought us to. I didn't plan to be heavily involved in counseling, but it was actually our senior pastor many years ago when I was his personal assistant, and I'd finished seminary. I was just trying to figure out where to land myself, where to kind of invest my energy. And he spoke into my life and said, I think your gifts are in counseling. I think you should devote your energy there. And I am type A, first child, Asian American. So when authority figure speaks that clearly into your life. You listen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just said, okay, I love you. You've spoken very clearly, so I'll go do it. Um, there wasn't much to it. I mean, I love, I love coming alongside people. So I had clues along the way. You know, when we used to, our college group used to drive down to um, Florida over spring break to do evangelism. And people would circulate in and out of my car so they could tell me their life stories. So that was a pretty wow. good clue yeah. that I love listening to people, helping people, sorting through their stories, just coming alongside of them. So that's wow. kind of how I landed. Then the rest of it was really people who helped me get training, people who poured into me. And then the uh, same guy, I'm a senior pastor, Mark Dever, uh, who I've come alongside for these last 15 years, said, why don't you come back and be one of my long-term staff pastors. So I did. I mean, we've come back. We love this congregation. And we try not to be specialists. We try to not sure. get in just a little niche. We try to be generalists. So I'll, I'll do weddings and funerals, teach Sunday school, lead worship services, preach at services. Um, but I do a lot of counseling, especially because of my training. Now that we're thinking about that and we've transitioned to that topic, we're talking about uh, some of the, the dating challenges that exist in our world today, which I'm sure you can attest are many. Hmm. What are some of the ones that you're seeing in your counseling just in the, you know, the recent days, weeks, months, and even years, uh, the main issues that you find people struggling with? Yeah. I mean, the, the most common conversation I have right now is the struggle with technology and online dating. Yeah. Uh, with a, a very mobile culture where kids are not growing up in the same community as their parents or the church they grew up in. Most of the time, kids move away because of a job to some other part of the country. Yeah. Uh, they're After this year with the pandemic, even more so, feeling disconnected from community and isolated. So the, the common conversation is, hey, um, if I don't find someone in my church, is it wrong for me to look for someone online? Uh, and I, I wouldn't say it's wrong. You just have to think through things carefully, uh, what it would mean to be a Christian and be wise about pursuing someone who is not within your own local church. And the other question is the technology. Like, I grew up dating without technology around me, and it adds so many layers of complications. Right. That you was know, hard enough as it is, right? It, it is. So, you know, just imagine... Um, a gal and a guy are getting to know one another and he's liking all of her Facebook posts or retweeting all of her tweets or he's Snapchatting her. And he's, she's like, does this mean he likes me or does he mean he's interested in me? Which probably is the case, but yeah. guys can be, or gals can be so impersonal through technology yeah, and not to have, have to do the hard face to face work that honestly you know, my generation or my parents' generation, that's all we had. 
Right. Apart from picking up a old fashioned phone attached to the wall <laughs> with a long cord, <laughs> with a long cord or meeting up with someone, that's all we could do. Yeah. Um, so technology just makes it complicated to figure out the relationships, who likes who, what means what, what does this relationship mean at all? So it, it, it does add our layer complications that don't make it as simple as we'd want it to be. Let's talk about that. I mean, from a communication standpoint, uh, the technology has created, I, I mean, I would say it's probably created more of a barrier. As you use the example, it's like on the phone, you'd have to call and you maybe miss a call and you leave a message. Now everything's so instantaneous and immediate. Mm. How do you find the, the human mind sort of uh, adapts and, and, and adjusts to the, the way that everything's so immediate these days? Yeah. Some of the things I find is like it creates a lot more anxiety mm. uh, because you have to deal with all kinds of portals of communication. Uh, I'm not just trying to reach out to you and text you. I got to check your email, see if you tweeted and see what you posted. And uh, <laughs> that's that, a lot of anxiety. And, 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 and I didn't even have a conversation with you. I mean, I got to check all of that to just see where you are or, you know, yeah. like conversations I've had in the past few weeks where a couple breaks up. And then she deals with the reality of what he's been posting on Facebook and it's painful to even, so she's got to yeah. unfriend him or get off of Facebook for a while. This is a layer of complication that you and I didn't have that our kids are certainly dealing with. And the people yeah. I'm ministering to are dealing with all the time as they're sorting through dating. It creates anxiety, creates loneliness. It creates confusion about what commitment means. It makes it really hard to understand what does it mean to have a friendship versus being committed in a dating relationship. You know, all, all these things we have to sort through, which means communication has to be really clear. We got to understand what's going on. I mean, my guess would be that that's affecting the like different ages. It's not just sort of people uh, maybe in high school and college and, and after college. It's actually probably because of technology, it's getting younger and younger and younger. Well, and yeah. so, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I just say, well, the, yeah, what I haven't seen yet, which we'll be curious to see is in a decade, all the kids that don't know any other existence. Yeah. What's it going to be like 10 years from now when this is all they know? Imagine a kid who doesn't know how to have a personal conversation with a girl, but knows how to tweet and text and post. That's the extent of the relational skills. Not the good old fashioned, like, how do you ask a question and have a deep conversation? Well, and that goes even beyond dating. I mean, I think of how is the younger generation going to do in a job interview when they are not adequately prepared for a face-to-face -face conversation? Now, maybe job interviews will move more to a digital platform and probably have, but there's some sort of social inabilities that come with that. Now, I mean, to add an additional layer to that, you add in a pandemic which has shut people in and really forced them to thrive and live off of device technology. Uh, I mean, I wonder, you know, I know it's only been a year now, but what are sort of the dating implications that have coming out of what the pandemic has brought us? Well, there would be two categories I'd name for you. One would be, okay, technology has been much of what people can do uh, in regards to reaching out to each other and communicating with each other during the week because they're in isolation in their own little quadrants. Or you find in different communities, they isolate in little packs in order to help themselves keep from complete solitude from other people. So, you know, you and your girlfriend yeah. are in this little cohort of people who have agreed to hang out with each other 
yeah. to protect each other from exposure of other things. But that has its own dilemmas because it creates a kind of intensity in the dating relationship. Yes. And we're big fans, advocates, at least our staff talk a lot about dating within community. Mm-hmm. Like the tendency of dating is to just figure it out on your own, you and the other person versus, yeah, we need wisdom from outside of ourselves to figure out all the really hard questions that come up when you're trying to figure out where you're going to make a permanent lifetime commitment to this person. What does that look like for you as a, as a pastor? Because there's, you know, there's not a lot of verses in the Bible about dating. So what is sort of the, the wisdom that's being passed along to people, I guess, specifically really within your church who are looking for where do I find wisdom in the way that we handle a relationship like this that doesn't have an exclusive biblical framework? Yeah. Well, though there are not explicit verses in the Bible about dating, the Bible is full of what it means for me to be a faithful Christian. Yeah. And so that's the active question. I'm like, what does it mean for me, a Christian, in this, this role, which is like, am I going to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend? So first we got to define what dating is. I mean, you just got to be clear because um, there's such thing as recreational dating, and that's what most people mm-hmm. think about. But yes. I'm coming at dating as taking on uh, um, an exclusive relationship with an eye towards us figuring out whether we're going to be married. And I, I'm, I'm going at it from that because it means I'm not going to do some of the typical cultural games that go- occur. Yeah, We're teaching actually a dating class at the church right now. Um, oh, great. So it's fresh on your mind. Yeah. I'm, in, in two weeks, I'm going to teach a lesson called um, All the Things That Go Wrong in Our Dating Culture. And I've got a list of things that I've observed as a pastor, like uh, one thing I nicknamed keeping too many horses in the stable. You know, you keep the God of options yeah. open. I'm going to not commit to any one person, but try out a couple of different relationships and just see which one works out best. Mm. I mean, that fits really well in our culture where I can go That's down true. the supermarket and have 40 options available to me of what kind of right. cereal. But it doesn't work out really well if you want to learn what long-term faithfulness looks like. Yeah. So first thing I want is to make really clear what we're doing. We're, we're doing something in terms of committing ourselves exclusively with an eye towards whether we should get married. And, you know, I deem it a success if they get into the relationship, work at it, and they realize the answer is a no. That's not a failure. <laughs> if they right. do it in a God-honoring way right. where they have treated each other with respect, and grown closer as a brother and sister in Christ. And there's pain involved in breaking up the relationship. And yet, if they can then treat each other with even greater respect, even after the relationship, in the same community, I mean, that that was a good thing for them yeah. to try and realize it's a clear no. I could see how that could sow the, the sort of these seeds of dis- discord within a church community. You know, it's like when a couple breaks up, it has the ripple effect throughout the rest of the community, especially as you use the word that as like a little cohort of people and could cause great problems for a local church. What are some of the things you kind of are advising young people in uh, not allowing that to break the bond of fellowship within the small body of Christ that's there? Well, one thing is working through the relationship in a way that you are loving, clear, gracious, and thoughtful. Basically, you're acting like a Christian 
in the relationship. What a novel concept. Oh, yeah, that's right. So that should help in, mm. in building a good relationship, help in treating hard things. You, you treat it with maturity rather than with folly or immaturity. Should help if things don't work out, where you, you treat each other in um, God-honoring ways afterwards. But yeah, if there's a ripple effect and people are hurt, hearts are broken, there's disappointment, maybe even anger. This is why we do do it in community, because we want other people around us to work through those things. Now, there are reasons to leave if it's too painful, but I want to say, I don't presume that just because you broke up and you're at the same church, you have to go to another church. I want to see enough kind of maturity that we can figure out how to coexist and even better, actually treat each other with great respect even after the relationship has broken up. So, you know, to give example, there's a, a guy and a gal who dated, broke up, and her wording was to me, I want to treat him in such a way that other women would see I deeply respect him and see him as someone who is very eligible to be married and a good person to be married to. And that's a, that's a gal who had broken up with him. That communicated a lot of maturity to me in how she was handling the breakup. We have a, a question from a listener. We asked some people to send us some questions for you. Um, one of our listeners expresses their exhaustion and frustration with online dating and asks what advice or encouragement you would have for them. Yeah, great question. Uh, a couple of things that I would highlight. First thing, the danger with online dating is you get a very small sliver of someone's life, their kind of online persona, the part that they're willing to expose to you. And this gets back to them. I mean, you'll, you'll hear my heart as a local church pastor. You don't know them in the context of community. So the really important thing is say you connect with someone and you start getting to know them. I think people wait far too long before they bring other people in. You need to both know them and they need to be known by you, but you need them to be known by your community and they need to know your community. So I'll give an example, a young lady a uh, long-distance relationship, was connected by mutual friends with a guy who lived up in New England. She was here in D.C. They started talking on the phone, um, and the conversation went really well, uh, that he then asked, could he come visit her? And so she said, yeah, I'd love to see each other in person. So he came down for a weekend. She set up the very first weekend he was coming to see both me, one of the staff pastors, and the senior pastor to have time with us. And, you know, he was intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> very first weekend he's coming to see her but i love that because it communicated yeah. early on how important it is for him to be known by her pastors yeah and the seriousness with which she's taking the relationship yeah which goes to your point of of kind of fighting against the cultural norm of of recreational dating yeah yeah and if she was aggressive early to make sure that he was known by her friends, her pastors, and her community. In this case, it worked out. They ended up getting married. But I loved it that I could, by the time they got engaged, I could celebrate with them because I knew him really well, even though he wasn't a part of our church. So I could jump in. The hard part as a pastor is when they do online dating and they introduce you at the very last minute before they get engaged. And then they expect you to be really excited, and yet you're like, Okay, I'm happy for you, but I don't know who he is. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not ready to like be strongly affirming of it. Right. 
because I don't know his character. I don't know his heart for God. I don't know whether he's going to be a good match for you. Um, So that's the big thing. Make sure that you are early on being known by each other in community. The other thing is like, you know, if there are difficult things in the background, you know, if they have a prior divorce, if there are issues aside from that, you need to not brush that aside until the last minute. You need to deal with some of the harder things early because you, especially because you're dealing with someone who you're not connected to their community. Yeah. So let's just take divorce as an example. This will come up where they've met someone online who has a previous divorce, and yet they've never by themselves made a decision of what they think the Bible says about it. Right. And so they need to come to a conviction early on of whether they think this person can be remarried. Yeah, before they're already involved in the relationship and it becomes a little bit too late to deal with something. Oh yeah, oh and, and even more so, before they're so deeply emotionally attached. Yeah. That emotional attachment will compromise on what yeah. they think some of the bi- biblical convictions could be. Yeah. We've mentioned sort of the 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 problems that come with social media uh, as it relates to dating, but you know, even think about the image centricness of social media. How has that created problems within dating? I know you you discussed this in your book, She's Got the Wrong Guy, but sort of what is it then what that we are looking for in a man, in a woman? Because social media sort of subtly and not so subtly sends us certain messages mm-hmm. uh, about what we should prioritize. So how do you see that playing out with people that come to see you? Yeah. Well, I mean, it plays out, let's say, like on a functional level or a more subtle level, people will believe things, though they would not articulate it this way. Usually, they'll believe things like, unless I look like a a supermodel, I'm not going to have anybody interested with me. Unless I I look a certain way, I dress a certain way, I have a certain physique, uh, my hairstyle, I need to look good in order to actually get someone to pay attention to me. Now, here's some of the sad reality of that. I mean, I've had young ladies confess to me. For example, I, I give a story in the book of a young lady who came to me and said, you know, when I was overweight but godly, nobody paid attention to me. I suddenly got thin and all the guys started asking me out. That's really sad. (laughs) Uh, But what that shows is that unfortunately for many men, for example, the on-ramp is looks, not godliness. The thing that'll catch their attention is how she looks, not whether she serves in the church. And as much as I can preach you know, the character of a person, this image-driven culture even shapes us in ways that we don't realize that I'm more driven by my desire for the Song of Solomon intimacy. And I'm, I'm all about, you know, Song of Solomon's in the Bible. Sure. Yeah. We believe that physical attraction and desire for one another is an integral part of marriage. It's a fundamental. So we're not throwing that out. Right. We're just trying to be careful and not saying that's all that should be driving you. So godliness really should matter in in our conversation with others. And that's what I feel like gets dampened out in the conversations because I'll say, okay, what about her character? And he says, yeah, but I'm not attracted to her. Okay, that's fine. I mean, I can't give you attraction. We'll come back to that. (laughs) Yeah, you you need to have some kind of attraction to her. But what I'd rather not have is the guy just say, I'm attracted to her, but I've never never consider her godliness. Hmm. I mean, that's when the bottom falls out for me. Like, no, actually, 
I'm looking for, number one, a Christian. I'm looking for, number two, she's committed to a gospel-preaching church, or he's committed. Number three, I am looking for attraction. Uh, you know, I think the Song of Solomon is in the Bible to help us understand that we're sexual beings and there should be a natural attraction to one another. But number four, I'm looking for godliness. And I don't put that in any particular order of priority of saying right. godliness is last. If right. nothing else, I'm trying to say, like, look for godliness and attraction. <laughs> yeah. Don't just look for attraction. Um, that's it. And now it, it, you take it one step further it gets completely distorted, this conversation, because of pornography. Yeah, we'll come to that in a second. I want you to hold on for just a second. Okay. Uh, because I think the first natural conclusion to that is then you end up saying, well, this person's not a believer, but, well, they're attractive, or, you know, there's the missionary dating, and all the sort of standard excuses that I'm sure you've heard kind of start coming up. So what do you sort of say in response to that? I mean, this is like one of the main things that I used to hear specifically when I was dealing with sort of young adults. Yeah. Well, let's take some scenarios just to help you think through this. A young lady's in the congregation and she's been around for a while and none of the guys pay attention to her, ever ask her out. But all the non-Christian men at work are not only right. expressing interest, but even asking her out, flirting with her. And yeah. she's trapped in this really awkward position. So first, I would just want to show I'm sympathetic to that dilemma. So part of us is like, I mean, my, one of my nicknames is congregation is D-Harmony. <laughs> I, like I, I need to be proactive and not leave singles off on their own to figure this out. Yeah. Another radio program talked about, they said, you know what a Yenta is? And I was like, I didn't know what a Yenta is. Well, it's a community matchmaker. Uh and I was like, okay, well, I, I, he asked, the radio programmer said, are you a Yenta? I was like, well, I'm not exactly a Yenta, but I'm not going to be passive either. We want a community where we're coming alongside single folks and helping them to know that they don't have to sort through this on their own. And even saying, as I do with guys and gals, hey, why don't we think about a relationship with so-and-so person? Uh, and, you know, let, let me help you think about how to build that friendship and where it's at and what. So I want to be proactive on the first hand so we don't leave them on their own. That's first thing. Second thing is, let's just say they go ahead and agree to go ahead and go out. Um, I can castigate them. What on earth are you doing? Don't you know the Bible is against this? You Can't you see how foolish this is? But that's just not going to help. Right. I mean, you, you know the, the reason why, and this is why I put the title in there, there there's lots of reasons why. Women settle for things that are not clearly good for them spiritually. Hmm. And whether it's the idolatry of marriage, whether it's the personal baggage they bring in, whether the fact that you know they're doing this as Lone Ranger dating all on their own, they're not getting help from anybody, whether it's the fears that they have, you know, nobody at church is paying attention to me. I'm yeah. 30 and no one's asked me out in five years. Uh, I'm, I'm 35 and it looks like I have no prospects anymore. I'm going to end up as an old spinster. I mean, those are the things I hear yeah. single women express as fears. Those things get in the way of staying settled in, in, a, in a position where you rest and trust in God and are willing to be patient and wait. That's what makes it hard. That's on one hand. Other hand, let's, let's say a gal does start dating a non-Christian guy. 
I'm not going to go condemn and scold her. What I really want to do is come alongside her and say, I love you. What are you doing? Help me understand, which is, yeah. which is a more uh, compassionate. In the end, I'm going to say, I, like, I love you. You shouldn't be doing this. But I just, I just want to be much more compassionate to the dilemma that a lot of these women are going through because most of them start out with like, yeah, I, I, I want to. I want to do the right thing. But show me where the men are. Yeah. None of them are asking me out. And so they get into these really awkward predicaments, and it's easy emotionally to get worn down after years mm. of trying to be faithful, trying to persist. Um, so I, I want to be careful condemning. I, I do think dating a non-Christian is a sin, to be clear. I think you should not marry an unbeliever. I think right. everybody goes to 2 Corinthians 6, the unequally yoked, but I think much more clear is 1 Corinthians 7.39, we must marry only in the Lord. Mm. I mean, that's Paul's phrase there. I don't know how yeah. you get around that. That's really explicit there. So I think it's a sin to marry a non-Christian, but I see the temptations that single women especially, but also some single men go through in the dilemma of trying to figure this all out in what is a complicated world. And so I think we got to get involved a lot earlier and come alongside them. Uh, so this speaks to like, how involved are you in, with other singles in a, in a culture of your own church? Because yeah. I don't want to find out like after she's been dating him for, for six weeks, I want to be involved in the conversation. I want to be so connected to our community that when she's even beginning to think about it, or the guy's starting to flirt with her, she's bringing it up to other people that matter to her in church so that they yes. can say, hey, watch out, danger zone, and say, we love you. Let us help you through this. Don't do that. Come this way. Don't go that way. I mean, those are the kinds of things that she needs to help her yeah. early, not later in the game. No, that's good. You've written a book, um, Pornography, Fighting for Purity, 31-Day Devotionals for Life. Um, how has pornography changed dating, marriage, you know, all these committed relationships? Yeah, I mean, pornography has made a mess of everything, which is just so hard. I mean, on yeah. the one hand, what you have is young ladies who make an assumption they'll never find a guy who's been pure and not seen pornography. They make an assumption that no matter who they marry, he's going to struggle. And I think that's settling for less. On the other hand, you have these guys where pornography fundamentally cultivates a selfishness in a person, mm -hmm. an image-driven selfishness, and also a, a self-dependence that actually, I think, stems from a prideful self-righteousness. And it, it creates this kind of havoc in a guy's soul that makes a mess of things when they enter in. So I see guys struggling with pornography, entering into dating relationships, and then trying to figure out how to deal with it. And when they start becoming honest with her, it begins to break down trust even before they ever get engaged. Mm. It wreaks havoc of kind of betrayal before they even make a long-term commitment. And then you make that permanent. You carry that into a marriage. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty aggressive about getting involved in guys' lives and helping them slow down. I'm aggressive about telling guys if you're struggling with pornography significantly, you should not be dating. Yeah. You, you need to clean up that act first. Why would you lead someone 
into a permanent long-term relationship if you haven't dealt with this first. And so I've had to slow people down. You know, I've had couples who'd want to get engaged, and yet I found out the guy's struggling significantly. I said, you're not ready to be married yet. <laughs> I'm saying as your pastor, I don't think you're ready to be engaged yet. Yeah. We need to clean this up. Otherwise, and I have the advantage on the back end, I see the mess it creates in marriage. And so that gets me to be more aggressive on the front end when it comes with dating. Yeah, if, preventative. If I can slow them down from experiencing that pain in marriage, why wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, and you know, I mean, we could come up with uh, endless um, fallout from pornography into dating and, and marriage. One thing that comes up quite often is is just sort of this hookup culture that's so prevalent and is has made its way into the church. How do you sort of advise you, young adults and and I guess really at any age and stage who are kind of trending in that way? Well, if you have bought into the lies of the culture, if you're carrying over a promiscuous disposition, if you have not created clear moral lines in terms of sexual temptation, uh, if you've opened yourself up to sin such that you know you're coddling sexual immorality, whether that's with a person or whether that's like online, um, you just shouldn't be surprised that you're going to start slipping into things when it comes to a hookup culture that that reflects already the disposition that you're living out in your life, which means holiness really does matter. It's not God being mean. It's God preparing you for heaven. <laughs> so, well, I love this. Let's go to Genesis 2 and just think about it for a second. What's the first thing that we have recorded from Moses that God says to Adam in the garden? It's Genesis 2, 16 and 70. I don't even have it in front of me, but just the paraphrase of it is, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but just not this tree. Right. And a part of us as being human is God needs to speak in from early on. And what does he do? He tells us of all the bounties he affords us, but he also sets up for us a boundary from the very beginning. He knows what's good for us. And so a part of accepting not being a part of the hookup culture is accepting the holiness boundaries that God sets up for us, that he knows it better than we do. He knows what's good for us on this end. And just to make it tangible, like really concrete, mm. you get into a hookup culture, those experiences don't magically erase in your mind. And so you carry that over into marriage. Yeah. And so the, the more I'm able to be aggressive in helping young people protect their hearts and minds, the more they're able to live with a single-hearted devotion to their spouse and not let those images and those other things like corrupt their commitment within marriage. And that's you know part of the dreadfulness of pornography. Like You store up this data bank of images in your brain. Yeah. They don't magically erase. And you hate to have to carry those around. Now, the Holy Spirit can do a lot of good work in cleaning that junk up. 100% believe that, that supernaturally God does a lot of good things in helping you clean up what I usually call a trashy mind yeah. that comes from pornography. But there's a, also a painful reality that like, you know, five years later, if I've been looking at pornography since I was 13, if I want to indulge myself, I need to just simply open up the file of my mind and pull out one of those images and begin to fantasize. Yeah. That's the sad part about it. 
moving ahead from dating into marriage, I mean, how, how do you advise married couples that are struggling with this on either side of the of the gender issue? You know, whether it's a man or a woman. Yeah. Well, um, I got to be really, really aggressive on, on the side of whichever spouse. Now, one thing we hadn't mentioned, but I just want to be clear, because most conversations make this completely a, a man's issue. And yet with the pervasiveness of pornography now, a growing number of women are struggling with it too. Yeah. So I don't want to in- introduce any shame for women who are struggling with this, just recognizing it could be the wife that's struggling and the husband's not, or it could be the husband that's struggling and the wife is not, or both running into this even more commonly that it could be both now have a background in it. Yeah, so in marriage, we got to double down on being aggressive. I often talk about access doesn't solve the problem, but I think it's the front end of the issue. Mm. You've got to be aggressive in shutting off access points because what it does is it corrupts your heart and overwhelms Mm. your heart. So I can't even get to the deeper heart issues if you haven't cut off the stream of junk that you're feeding your heart. Yeah. So that's the first thing. But if we're aggressive about doing that, and then we can get into some of the deeper issues that are motivation for me going after it. And it's not just simply lust. People will often say like, well, I mean, it's just a, it's just a lust issue. No, there's a lot more. There's a lot more when you begin to add up to the things that can motivate someone to pursue this. Mm. I will then tell a couple. So, you know, in premarital, I have a question that's in there of have one of you struggled in the past? And let's take a session I had a couple of weeks ago. He struggled. She didn't. So the first thing I said to her was, well, what are you doing about your devices? Because he had everything locked down. But she had never thought about the fact that once they enter into marriage, she's bringing her phone, her computer, her tablet in, and none of them have filters, none of them have passwords, none of them have nothing. Yeah. Uh, so we had to have a 20 to 25 minute conversation to think through what kind of adjustments do they need to make so that she needs to be an ally with him against his sin. That's my job description for her. And the first thing she needs to do is shut off all her access points yeah. so that he doesn't have new access points in marriage. That's the first thing. Second thing, you got to decide in marriage, how are you going to talk about this? Yeah. There's the disposition I've seen in some where the husband never talks to his wife about it when he struggles. Mm. Since when is it a good idea to completely hide your sin from your spouse? Yeah. I just don't know any marriage that's healthy that has something like that. Yeah. But there's real wisdom in deciding to what degree you talk about it. Now, that's a different conversation. Right. So one of our, our, our former pastors would used to use the analogy of um, a laundry basket. Uh, he says, when you're having the conversation, especially if it's with a spouse, you just need to be sensitive to the level of detail and degree. Yeah. The, the general rule of thumb is we're looking to trace out the size and extent of the laundry basket so that my spouse is not ignorant, but understands, but I don't need to pick out every piece of dirty laundry, hold it up and explain it. Right. That's a level of detail. That's just going to be painful for your spouse. Yeah. And I have seen when you get to the point where there's too much detail, it just begins to wear down the trust. That's one. Mm. Number two. Yeah. I mean, if you keep up this issue in marriage and you have to keep confessing, that also degrades the trust over time. Yeah. And for a spouse, this feels like betrayal. Over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. So 
you want to be sensitive to the fact that if you want to preserve trust, you've got to, got to, got to be aggressive mm. in, in dealing with it. There's more I could say, but that's just a few things when you think about yeah. marriage. We had another question come in that uh, I wanted to ask you, and it, we may have touched on a lot of these elements. Um, it's it's a little long, so just bear with me here. Uh, with the heavy prevalence of pornography in the world today, and even in the American evangelical church, more than 64% of born-again Christian men aged 18 to 49 admit to viewing pornography at least monthly. Uh, this person read that the pornography industry made more money in 2019 than the Major League Baseball and NFL and NBA combined. This survey was done by Barna Group. So knowing that there is a spiritual war happening in the lives of Christians in the church for purity, is there a sense of intimacy and relationship between a man and a woman in marriage that has been forever broken because of his or her struggle with uh, and viewing of pornography? If yes, is there any hope for marriage? If no, how can we regain the purity in a covenant marriage union that has been lost in our own lives because of our lust? Yeah, well, I mean, what a good question. I'll I'll key in on one word that's there, forever. Yeah. I mean, because it was like forever broken. I I think that implies that no matter where the person is at, they're beyond the grasp of God's grace. Right. And I I just don't think that's true. You yeah, know, as there's a no restoration all, option there. Yeah, I mean, as a pastor who does a lot of counseling, is it true that a lot of people struggle and there are long-term struggles? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people battle this over years. Is it true that it's not possible to get beyond this? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Because that makes a statement about the power and effectiveness yeah. of the gospel. Yeah, it minimizes really the work tra- of the Spirit. Yeah. yeah, to transform people in this issue. So... The joy of having been around the church for such a long time is now I'm, I'm in my 50s. I, I'm, I'm walking around with a group of guys where we've been friends for two to three decades, where many of us struggled with pornography years ago, and now we've had years upon years of reprieve. So, you know, I can testify to the kind of mature men who have grown up out of the problem and have built really good marriages because they're elders in our church. Yeah. They're men I actually know who I walked alongside of them in our younger years when we all struggled with this. And so that one of the key things here is to say, like, the great goal that Paul gives us in Colossians 1, 28 and 29 is to present us fully mature in Christ. Yes. So it's not just an access issue or a heart issue. Ultimately, it's a maturity issue. Yeah. And so what we're setting our eyes on is growing people up in their faith. And as we do that, as they go to church, they're in the Word, they get discipling, as they face sin earnestly, as they learn genuine repentance, as they learn to trust in Christ, as they learn to suffer well in hard seasons, as they learn to grow up their children, learn to be faithful in their job, as they learn to actually sit on the Word and then themselves teach the Word, as they learn to just grow up as a Christian— that helps them unto themselves learn to deal with some of these dilemmas that have hindered them. So, yeah, I mean, is this a forever sin? No, I don't think so, because that's a statement about God, and I just don't buy that. That, on the one hand, theologically, number two, experientially. I've seen dozens of men and women overcome this and leave it in the rearview mirror. 
to the glory of God. So is there life beyond that? And are there happy marriages with people who formerly struggled? Yes, absolutely. And if you don't believe me, come visit us on a Sunday. Yeah. I will introduce you personally to some of them. I'm happy to do that. Because some people say, you're just full of it. You're in pie in the sky. I'm like, well, come meet the people I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about real people who have come overcome real problems. And mm-hmm. that I would say I'm, I'm theologically confident of this. But now I'm also experientially confident of it because I've seen God's work in real people. Yeah, and that restoration and and, and as you said, you know, that the growing and maturity and I'm sure you've seen with the freedom from the bonds of things like pornography, you're probably seeing the way marriages are restored. And and even as we talked about earlier about dating, the, the challenges and the things that come with that in terms of communication, you're probably seeing lines of communication restored and, and, and on and on and on. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, what you see is as marriages grow up and couples grow up and they become more mature, you see changes across the board in different aspects of their life, how they handle their finances, how they parent their children, how they communicate with one another, how they handle their jobs, how they grow up. And, you know, the delight is seeing young guys in the faith come, date, make choices, get married, have children, learn to parent, learn to grow in their career. But then they come alongside me and they become elders. Life in the church. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm pastoring with some of these guys yeah. uh, who I, for years, have been investing in. Well, what a joy yeah. to see them grow up in the faith. What a beautiful picture, too. I think we've, we've actually finished quite well with uh, the encouragement of it is possible, because I think you're probably right. A lot of people who come in and see you probably say, I just don't feel like this is possible, because I'm guessing... They've tried to do this on their own or maybe within a, a small community that that wasn't helpful. And so there doesn't look like there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I think you've wrapped that up well for us in that it can happen. It does happen. Um, but there's a there's a commitment involved in that. Uh, there's a there's a sense of needing some skin in the game to use that phrase. Yeah. The only other piece I'd add is if you're not in a healthy church, that'll make a big difference. A gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching church that has not just really good words from the pulpit, but a clear sense of gospel community, that's going to be a huge part of helping this maturity factor that I'm describing. You just got to plant the seeds in good soil in order for it to actually properly grow up. Um, So that I just want to leave that part out because that's a given in what I understand and how God works to bring about this reformation. Wonderful. Dr. Deepak, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I do wonder if you could do one thing for me before we close out. And I do wonder if you could pray for us and uh, for all those who are struggling and dating and marriages, uh, people struggling with pornography. uh, That'd be a great help. Yeah. Glad to do that. Let's pray. Thanks brother. Lord, we know that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. And that's just not a, a pie in the sky, trivial truth. We know that because Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered death and had victory over sin, that we have a different kind of hope that the rest of the world does. We, we know that that kind of hope changes how people live, what they think, how they feel, what they do. And so we, we need help, Lord. We need help desperately from the Spirit to know what it means to trust and believe. We need help from the Spirit to actually obey every day. We need help 
from you to know what it is we should do that is wise and what it is to do we should avoid that's foolish. And so, Lord, we ask you to act, to show yourself in the lives of every person who's listening, to demonstrate that not only you are real and true, but that you will not leave your own children by themselves. That because you sent Jesus to die for us and to be raised again, and because one day we will see him again when he comes back, we do not have to be scared. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the hope that we have in your Son and how that puts us on a firm ground for this day and every day ahead. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Deepak Reju, the books, She's Got the Wrong Guy, Why Smart Women Settle, and Pornography, Fighting for Purity, 31-Day Devotionals for Life. And I think you have a two-part book coming out in October. Uh, We'll put links for these books in the show notes. And um, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us. Glad to do it. Had fun. It was great to be with you. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people to find us. And we will send you a free copy of Dad's latest book, Hope for This Present Crisis. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.